it's all or nothing, right? So those hangovers, all the depression, anxiety, and all that kind of stuff. And it even, I think it, it created more of when can I do it next? When can I do it next? When can I do it next? Cause I knew that was the only positive outlet that I had at the time. Is there anyone out there? From darkness to life explores the stories of real people who've navigated their way out of life's toughest situations, emerging with greater strength and resilience. If these stories remind you of your own journey and you or someone you know need help, our collective journey is here for you. Whenever you're ready to take that next step, reach out to us at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Welcome back to another episode of From Darkness to Life here in the Plugged In Media Network studio. Ryan, as your host, as usual, season four, well underway now. I want to thank all our listeners. Uh, every time Dave sends me some of the analytics of this show and what it's been doing over the last two weeks, 30 days, 60 days, it just baffles me how many uh, how many listeners are actually tuning into this and downloading new episodes. So I, I really appreciate that. We all do here at our collective journey and from darkness to life. And we just want to uh, thank everybody for listening and uh, sharing the messages because like we always say, right, we never quite know who's going to need to hear the message. So the more we share it, it's likely to find the ears that need to hear it. So Continue sharing, continue liking, uh, follow us on Instagram at FDTL podcast, share those posts as well. We got a, we got a great selection of guests this year and we had another really cool guest, uh, scheduled for today. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, getting into this conversation with our guests. But before we do that, I just want to remind everybody that, you know, our collective journey is a nonprofit. And if anybody feels like they want to support what we do here in community or support uh, the podcast in any way, there is a donate button on our website. So that's at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Head over there and every dollar counts, man. Um, every one of these episodes, every one of the services we provide in the community, everything comes at a cost. And, you know, we, we would love to provide everything for free and that's what we try to do, but everything costs. So if anybody feels the urge to donate or support or, um, want to be part of just uh, head over there and hit that donate button. Cause I can't tell you how much we greatly appreciate every dollar. And with that, uh, I just want to throw out one more little tidbit of information before we kick off this podcast today. And that's the rise up balloon festival coming up in uh, 2024. It seems like it's so far away, but you know, it's closing in on six months now. Uh, end of May here locally in medicine hat, Southeast Alberta. We're shooting to have 25, I think, maybe 30 balloons this year, uh, May 23rd to the 26th. Come on down and uh, check out this free event for the public to, to witness these amazing vessels soaring through the skies. It's, it's quite, it's quite a, a sight to see when you see that many balloons in the air. And it's all around, you know, our collective journey rise up is all based on rising up out of something, right? We're, we're coming out of, you know, we're, we're slowly removed from the debacle and the, and the mess of COVID, but we're all trying to rise back up out of something. And, uh, this is a great way to come and get connected with community. Uh, connection is always part of healing. So, um, that's one of the big goals here at rise up is let's get out, let's connect, let's, uh, provide some hope and, and let's have some fun. So keep your eyes peeled to all that social media. Everything is on Instagram, Facebook, you can find it through our website and, uh, we will be launching a new mailing list. So if you're interested in that, Keep your eyes open. And with that, I think, I don't think I got anything else to plug today. So let's, uh, let's get right into it. 
And I'm super excited to uh, welcome our guest, Mike, today from just down the highway a little ways up in Calgary. Is that where you're located, Mike? Yeah. Yep. Calgary, born and raised and spent a little time away playing hockey, but ended up coming back. And this is where I've been ever since. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for taking time out of your day to join us and share some of, uh, well, we'll get into it, but I know you, you're going to share some of your story and you're also going to share about what you're doing in Calgary and uh, some of your passions and some of your community and, and the things that drive you today in recovery. And when I, when I had our chat, we had our chat here a week or two ago, you and I, and I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't get over how our stories are so similar. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I felt the same way after talking to you just for the 10, 15 minutes it was, but, um, yeah. So just a guy who was a hockey player went through some mental health issues and, uh, ended up seeking treatment for some alcohol and drug addiction and then came out the other side and, uh, been lucky enough to be successful with six years of recovery. Nice. Um, and just kind of when I went into it, I had a feeling like if this works, if I'm able to last, I think there's a time and a place for me to help kind of give back and try to help some others who are struggling. And over some few years and figuring some stuff out on my own, uh, that time's finally come. So reached out to you and thank you. You, you responded right away and it felt good to get that connection and be able to open up. So thanks. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. When you, when we cross paths, well, I'm a firm believer in you cross paths, you cross paths with people when it's meant to happen. Right. And when we, uh, got connected and, and had our first kind of sit down virtual coffee, I guess you could say it, it was yeah. one of those things. It just seemed like a, a natural conversation, right? We, you find your people when you find your people and, and if you're present and you're, you're open-minded, you don't miss those opportunities too often. So that's really cool that we cross paths and I'm super excited to, you know, have you kind of share some of your story. You just gave us a little snippet of what that kind of journey looked like, but yeah, when you lay it out like that, it sounds easy, right? But it's far from <laughs> easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, I was kind of thinking about that before I got on here and there's, there's so many layers to it and all that kind of stuff. And um, I think like, the main thing I wanted to like emphasize on being here was like, you can, you're, you have the ability to change mm -hmm. and like a big thing is asking for help. So my main thing was I was trying to do everything on my own all the time. Like even when I started to realize that drinking and my lifestyle wasn't doing me any favors, I went through it and tried to stop and mm -hmm. say no and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I truly accepted that I can't do this on my own, that I was able to finally accept that help that that is out there. Mm -hmm. Like, doesn't matter what kind of what you're going through, there is that help out there if you want it. So like, that was kind of one of the main points I wanted to get across and, um, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to think and know where a start point is, but yeah. if there's any like certain aspects you want to hear about, like I'm willing to travel down those roads. Sweet, man. Yeah, that's cool. And you know, when we talk about 
the path to addiction, right? There's so many different causes and, and we hear, we hear them all right. Um, through some of the training I've taken, right. It's, I, I recognize that it's, I'm often very wary of the individual who says there's one cause to addiction and this causes it all the time. And, and just from my experience and my training and my background and my own lived experience, I know, and you said the same thing earlier, right? It's, it's a very complex journey and there's a lot of things that go into what takes us down that path to, towards addiction. Right. And, and that's one of the things that I find so amazing to, to sit and talk with individuals who have traveled that path because they're all different. The journeys are different, right? So um, if you want to share a little bit about, take us back to, you know, maybe that pre-hockey time, that hockey time, like what was the catalyst now that you're looking back here on the other side of it? What do you think was some of the things that led you down that path? So, yeah, like it's, it's funny enough. Um, obviously there's a family history with some addiction, but that's pretty, pretty common and across the board. Right. For so sure. it's easy to, oh, well, the family's got it. So it's not far off that someone else is going to fall down the trap. Um, but it's actually kind of funny because, uh, someone that I talk about in my podcast a lot is my mom, mm-hmm. who's obviously been a big part of my life, but, Growing up, she kind of, she told us that, like, she said, like, Hey, like when I was 10, 11, 12, she's like, Hey, we've got some issues in the family, like know that. So as I was going through that, like 13, 14, when some of my friends were starting to drink, you know, steal the bottle of booze from the parents, (laughs) go down to the park, um, I was kind of avoiding that. And there was a couple, like I got, I remember getting questioned and saying, I have alcohol addiction in my family. Yeah. So for a point in time, that was actually in my mind. I knew about it. Right. Um, And then it was about when we turned, when I was 15, we started, uh, we had a hockey party, right? So the, the kids got together at one house (laughs) the parents got together at another one and of course beers were there. And mm-hmm. that was about the first time where I had a couple beers and started to really feel the effects. And like, I can, I vividly remember that yeah. day and just like that feeling of, Holy cow, like what everything I'm thinking about in my head, everything I'm worried about, like anxiety about being around people, being around girls, like, whew, that's all gone. Right. Right. So I think that was the start of it. And then as you go through the hockey world and all that kind of stuff, it's a big part of it, right? Playing, practicing, partying. Yeah. Right. That's kind of how it goes. And then I ended up, um, so growing up too, I kind of made this goal where it was, I want to play in the WHL. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I thought much on it, but I just like, that was my goal. So then when I got listed by the Swift Current Broncos, which is just down the road from you, a little rival That's my hometown. Is it? That's where I'm from. Yeah. I went to many Bronco camps. We might've been at the same one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah. So ended up getting listed by them when I was 15. Went to camp when I was 16, signed a contract with them, came home, played uh, midget AAA yeah. 
for 16 and then made the team at 17 and um going away that first year it was definitely definitely a learning experience like i was always a shy insecure kid like you want that uh feeling of acceptance totally right yeah. so i talk about this in my <laughs> podcast but i don't think i said more than two or three words for like the first month or two, mm -hmm. like just completely feel out of my element and that kind of stuff. Um, we didn't drink all that much. We would have like the Sunday fun day and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't until kind of that year came to a close where most of the year I spent kind of in and out of the lineup. And then in playoffs, it was, uh, I wasn't playing most of the playoffs. So it was kind of like, when can I get out of here? Yeah. Yeah. For right? sure. Like it wasn't, it wasn't so much, uh, like I want to keep this going. It's, it's like, I'm ready to get home, get back to my family, get back to my friends and that kind of stuff. And then when I got home that summer, that was when I think the alcoholism really took off. Like, get back to your old friends, high school, those yeah. parties, all that kind of stuff. That's like focus wasn't on training for hockey. Focus wasn't on getting better for next season. Focus was on how much fun can I have? And this fun always includes alcohol. So for sure. Yeah. That's kind of where it started. Um, and then over the years, so to take that a little bit further, even we, uh, I ended up gaining about 25 to 30 pounds. Yeah. That off season. Weird how the alcohol and the beers do that. Crazy. <laughs> and all that good food you're eating too, oh, right? While sure. you're at it. Yeah. Um, Lots of sticks. <laughs> yeah. The old A&W Wendy's drive through at night. Totally. Yeah. Um, so from there, and it went back to Swift Current. <clears throat> Was lucky that I didn't get sent home because I was in bad shape. Right. Um, so took took it as a little bit of a challenge to get back into shape and was doing well and all that kind of stuff. And then that season progressed, ended up getting higher in the lineup, having some good playing time and all nice. that kind of stuff. And then just kind of went about two and a half years of playing and drinking a lot and mm -hmm. not really focused on anything other than the, the here and now. Yeah. Like, uh, it's kind of weird. Like you think, okay, I was, was I living in the present and just trying to have a good time, but I, it's not, you can't really look at it that way because I hadn't set a goal, right? right. My goal was make the WHL. Yeah. I did that. And then I kind of just got complacent for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, so then two and a half years went by in Swift Current. I got traded to Tri-Cities. That's where um, we, we were actually a really good team, first in the Western Conference and all that, and came in there and kind of just because it was a new situation. Yeah. Didn't really take advantage. Didn't change, right? Went in there, if anything, that's I started to drink even more when I got there. When it was way cheaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way cheaper. I, that's where I played a lot of my hockey was south of the border and I could not 
get over the fact that how far 20 bucks went back then. A tank of gas, a pack of smokes, Taco Bell, and 24 beer for 20 bucks. And that's a huge part of my story too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember coming home from Try the One Day or after that first year with three three big bottles of alcohol that would have cost me an arm and a leg here. But, you know... Down yeah. there, it's easy to come across. <laughs> totally, yeah. You just got to uh-huh. go to your local grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop in at the at the uh, gas station on the way home. Exactly right. Yeah. Um. So then, so it was down there drinking heavily. We ended up having some success. Lost to hometown team, the Calgary Hitmen. Oh yeah. In the uh, in the WHL final. Wow. Ran into them. They were they were a good team. We were a good team, but they put us through our through their paces pretty quick. Um and then after that went back. 20-year-old year, I finished off playing in the Alberta Junior Hockey League out in Okotoks. Nice. And that was that was a big a big I'm gonna enjoy every last minute of my last year of junior hockey right. before who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. So spent a lot of time <laughs> under the influence and mm. taking advantage of that and kind of being, being the older guy on the team now, just kind of doing whatever I wanted. Like still we were having success on the ice. I was playing pretty well, but by now it's cause that's just what I'm used to. For sure. Right. Yep. So you think, Okay, I could be better, but this is working all right. What what's the point in changing it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something in your story that I can completely resonate to with that 20-year-old season, we're going to really go out with a bang and you know, for me and my my story, the hockey became, you know, the secondary piece. I started looking forward to the parties and the drinking and all that stuff outside of the hockey. Yeah, you're 100% right. The hockey doesn't even matter. It's more, okay, let's get practice over with so we can get on to what I want to, what I want to do and what I think I enjoy more. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So from there, ended up going to Mount Royal University, played there for three years. And then, uh, it all came to a close when, uh, Christmas night, Went to the outdoor rink, well inebriated, barely stand up, ended up breaking my leg. Oh my goodness. On the outdoor rink, spent three nights in the hospital. And uh, yeah, that's do all those things, play all those games, skate through all those practices. And then it comes to a close when you're drunk with your buddies on the outdoor rink. So, wow. Kind of a. I wouldn't say I didn't see it coming, but kind of uh, for a lot of years, it was a tough way for me to end it. Yeah, no kidding, right? Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's something else, man. So that that injury that you sustained at the outdoor rink, that was it. Was it one of those injuries that kind of ended your hockey career? Do you think, or you know, the the writing was on the wall and it was kind of on on its way out anyway, but. Perfect question. It was on the way out. Yeah. It gave me that opportunity to hang them up and yeah. 
okay, finally hockey's going to be out of the way, right? You get oh, hockey was just a distraction from my drinking career is kind of how I, how I kind of sum it up now. Um, so that gets pushed out of the way. And, uh, then yeah, from there it, it really went downhill pretty quick. So that was Christmas time, uh, ended up. So didn't obviously didn't play the rest of that season and then wasn't really able to tell anybody that I was done until about two weeks before our camp. We had a new there was a new coach that came in, all this kind of stuff and called him up and was like, yeah, I just can't do it. Obviously the conversation didn't really go very well, but I mean, you don't really know what anybody's going through. I gave him gave him the usual spiel about, yeah, I just can't do it. Like, I don't think it will be good for the team when really it was, I was just in a very tough place and, knew that knew I couldn't do it. So, and it's better for probably everyone if I didn't show up to camp. Mm, Wow. What a phone call. That's a, that's a big conversation to have. Hey, wow. After years of having this as your, your hockey career, right? Oh yeah. Like I, I remember like, well, it kind of went like this for like June, July, August, it was always like, oh, well, I'll start working out next week. I'll get back into shape. Like, I'll be good. I'll yeah. be good. Right. And then it's the next week. Then it's the next week. And then you get into the thing like, no, you were done the whole time. You just couldn't tell yourself that. Yeah. And then uh, then it's a couple of days of wanting to make that phone call, but kind of running it through your head over and over. What, how's it going to happen? What's going to happen? All that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was... It definitely was tough, but again, like once it was made, you feel that weight of mm-hmm. okay, I don't have I don't have to deal with that on my conscience any longer. Right. Yeah. So after you made that phone call, was it uh was it a green light? Was it let's go, let's wind it up and hundred percent. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Um it was kind of like I had already been green lighted. Ever since I broke my leg, right? I wasn't practicing, wasn't doing anything. Yeah. Um, but it also, like thinking back on it now, it made it pl- pretty clear how important the aspect of the physical aspect of hockey was, right? Like, even though you're hungover, you're getting up and you're going to do the team workout or going to do the, um, team practice. Yeah. Right. So you're getting those endorphins, you're getting that, uh, whatever goes on in your brain when you exercise. Right. (laughs) Yeah, for Um, sure. So when that stopped and the exercising and all that stopped, it really, I only really felt good when I was actively in indulging. Right. You don't, you don't have that balance. So that's something that I've thought and like carried with me through into recovery as well as that importance of exercising and getting that mental stimulation and physical stimulation that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the, you know, now that we're on the other side of this and we've, we've done enough work and, and been around enough um, knowledgeable people and studied whatever it looks like for each one of us, but 
how important that piece is to help rewire our brain and our reward system, right? Because, you know, once you took the hockey out of your story, there was nothing to counter that reward system, right? It was, it was altered state all the time based on alcohol or whatever, any other substance in my story, it's whatever you put in front of me, mm-hmm. but yeah, that became the reward, right? There was nothing else that was ever going to stack up against that. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's all or nothing, right? So those hangovers, all the depression, anxiety, and all that kind of stuff. And it even, I think it, it created more of when can I do it next? When can I do it next? When can I do it next? Cause I knew that was the only positive outlet that yeah. I had at the time. Right. And that just, you know, that's that cycle, right? That, that vicious cycle of addiction is finding ways and means to get more. How am I going to use, where am I going to get it from? And then the actual using and then the guilt, the, all the things that come post using and then how do you get rid of that? Well, you do it again. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Round and around. Yeah. And that's, that's actually one, one thing we can talk about too is like coming to terms with the fact that I am an alcoholic and an addict Mm -hmm. because I was a binge drinker. Wow. Like I always thought (laughs) for the longest time, I'm not an alcoholic because when Sunday or Monday come around, I sober up Mm -hmm. and I spend Monday or Tuesday, maybe Wednesday sober. But then by then it's right back into it. Right. So you have those Sunday or Mondays. Oh, I'm never going to do that again until the anxiety, the, all that stuff kind of wears away. And then you're like, wait a minute, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. Yeah. It wasn't uh, so bad. Yeah. It wasn't so bad. Those last two days. What is that? Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. And then you get right back into it again. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how many people, you know, are listening today that, you know, maybe that's what's resonating with them because I know I've mm-hmm. fell into that stage for a very long time as well. Right. I could shut it off from Sunday through Thursday, but then, Oh boy. And then, you know, working, you know, later on in my career, working in the oil and gas industry, Sunday was Tuesday, Tuesday was Friday. It didn't matter. You're working all the time. And it just was, yeah, it turned into a very chaotic scene. Yeah. And you, yeah, exactly. And then it's like, yeah, the weekends turn into weekdays and everything kind of, that's where, so after I, that year that I didn't play hockey, I went into kind of framing houses mm-hmm. and well, I didn't kind of, I did <laughs> go and <laughs> go and start framing houses. And I actually also started coaching hockey. Okay. So I got into coaching Bantam level. So 13, 14 year olds and got into that. And it was, it was okay during the year. Like I was working, framing the houses, then going to practice and it was Bantam triple A. So it was high level. So it's pretty much six out of seven days a week. So it was keeping me busy. And then as soon as, uh, soon as that coaching season was over and it was just the framing houses, it was kind of the same as even when I was playing, right? You get that extra free time. And mm-hmm. now what do you got to do? But your biggest hobby. Yeah. Right. So, so you get that free time. And then that, that was probably one of my darkest periods was 
that's I'd say spring of 20, how old? I was 23 or 24. So I'm 33 now. So yeah, 23 or 24 years old, but Mm -hmm. ended up going so hard one weekend that I woke up on the Monday and I like, I physically couldn't do it. Couldn't, couldn't get myself out of bed. And then that, that Monday turned into Tuesday, turned into Wednesday. And I just could not go anywhere, do anything like that was probably one of the deeper, tougher parts of, of my journey in alcoholism and that kind of stuff. And of course, but once Friday rolled around, like I could go out and do it again, but then I just put myself back into that same cycle. And it was probably about two weeks where I just kept texting my bosses like, Oh, I got, I got a stomach bug or like stuff like that. It's just not coming around, but it's was just a a deep, deep depression where I couldn't get myself to go do anything except what was causing the problem. Mm -hmm. For sure. Right. It's either alcoholism or you're the unluckiest, sickest man in Western Canada. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And and I can relate to that, right? There was so many mornings where I did not want to get out of bed because I knew you know, for me, it got to a point where I hated myself and I hated the addiction, but I didn't know how to reach out for help. And I'm sure you experienced some of this too. So I did not want to get out of bed. And I knew as soon as I put my feet on the floor, I was going to get high. And I, and that was the piece that kept me in bed. There was mornings where my boss would come and knock on my door at my house yeah. across town to see if I'm okay. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, right. I, well, I slept in or it was the kid's fault or somebody else's fault all the time. It wasn't mine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was, that was a big, big thing driving me was that self-hate. Yeah. Like, cause I was now framing houses. I was still in the hockey business a little bit, but it was kind of <laughs> like, wow, dude, that's such an opportunity. Like, sure. You might not have been the be- most skilled player or like that kind of stuff, but you were still in one of the best junior leagues in the world. Totally. And here you are now, yeah. a guy who can't do anything but think about wanting to drink again and how you didn't take advantage and all that kind of stuff. So that self-resentment and all that kind of, those feelings were a big driver behind uh, behind my actions and my for lifestyle sure. for a lot of years. Yeah. When I think that goes back to, you know, you and I talked about this before and I know you've talked about this on your podcast is, you know, most of the time the alcohol and the drugs isn't the problem. The problem is underlying, right? And that's our solution to, to avoid all those yeah. issues and all those problems or cope with them or stuff them down or numb them out. Mm-hmm. And until it becomes the major problem, once you cross that threshold and you become a person in active addiction, then that's the major problem, right? But it's so much more than just putting the plug in the jug or, you know, dropping the bag. It's, it's, oh my gosh, it's so much more than that. And that's that complex piece we talked about earlier, right? It's no wonder Nancy Reagan's just say no campaign didn't quite work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. The self-resentment, the shame and all the, the guilt that comes with it. Right. So, so in treatment, we kind of, 
learned the saying where uh, the, sh- the guilt is the truth, the shame is the lie. Oh, wow. That's good. So the guilt is you did something bad. Yeah. Sure. Right. Like you went out and got drunk when you shouldn't. The shame is the lie that we tell ourselves about it. Right. So I went out and I got drunk. I'm a waste of a human. Yep. Right. Like the things that we associated with it afterwards. For sure. And I think that was the thing that helped me out just to look back on all the stuff and realize like, yeah, I did some dumb stuff. I did. I wasn't there when I should have been and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, it wasn't really me who was in that role. It was kind of a shell just going through the motions of trying to get by and that kind of stuff. Oh man, absolutely. And that's such a cool reframe. I've never heard it put that way. Like you just said, the guilt is the truth and shame is the lie. Cause that's part of my story as well. Right. When I flipped that switch from, you know, I did all these things and I feel guilty about these things. When I flipped that, that viewpoint to where I was the problem, I didn't create all these problems. I was the problem. And that was the shame is the lie piece. And that really, I just made some notes, man. That's really cool. Because once I hit that shame piece within 72 hours, I was trying to take my life. Yeah. Wow. Right. And, uh, yeah. Accepting, right? Like that's, that's kind of the way I look at it is sure. There's outside influences and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I was the one making the decisions Mm -hmm. and I was the one doing the things that I was doing. And I can't sit here and blame anybody for my, for me turning into an alcoholic or an addict, Mm -hmm. right? We all have things that happen in our past. There's trauma and stuff like that. And we need to, we need to understand them. Yeah. I think so that we can know why it affected us and may have driven us to act the way that we do. But when, when it comes down to it, like, I think that's what's helped me along the way in recovery too, is just like, I'll own any mistake I make. Yeah. Like, like (laughs) I know I'm not perfect. Right. (laughs) And that's, that's helped me out a lot in understanding those, those previous, um, just understanding, like I can now look at my hockey career and I can say, no, I did do some good things for sure. Like I have some, uh, I, what's the word I'm looking for? I can appreciate. Absolutely. Like I can, I can look back and I appreciate spent, uh, spent a spring playing through the playoffs, making it to the WHL final. Like I can appreciate that kind of stuff now. Whereas if it was during it, I, as soon I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to speak about it, but now it's like, yeah, I'm proud of it. Yeah. Right. That's so cool. And I think you really nailed it there. Um, when you're in active addiction, right? The deficits, the shortcomings, all these things are glaring in our face and it really pushes those self-worth buttons for us. Right. And the way to numb that out is we, we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about it. Mm-hmm. But when you get on the other side of it and you start owning things, right. And you start doing the work and this is something we talk about in every podcast is doing the work and it's different for everyone, but we start looking at our assets and our, our successes and our exactly what you just said, right? You accomplished some massive things that every young 
individual in this country, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but most young kids that are playing hockey want to play in the WHL mm-hmm. at some point, right? Or the OHL or wherever they are stationed in this country. But, and you made it and you made it to the WHL final, which is a huge accomplishment. But when you're in it, oh my goodness, it doesn't uh, seem so huge. <laughs> oh yeah. You look back and you're just like, oh, so-and-so screwed me over or oh, whatever. If I didn't have this coach or if I didn't have that coach or if I would have been played on the power play, it's like, no, man. Yeah. It's all in the past. Totally. Right? Whatever. I'm not even going to try, but it's like whatever should should have happened, did happen, or I can't remember. I heard something, but it's like what did happen, did happen. There's no point in trying to think it should have happened another way. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, yeah, for sure. And I had a counselor one time made me make lists of how many times I should myself today. <laughs> and, and when I, I laughed when they told me that and I'm like, okay, I can do that. Right. But yeah, I used to do that multiple times a day. I should have done this. I should have done that. If that would, if this would have been different, I would have been different all these things. Right. And it's about yeah. owning your piece. What do you control? And then once you start doing that work, man, it became glaringly obvious the pieces I could control in those situations, but then I had to own them. Right. And say, yeah, I, I yeah. did screw that up. I own that piece. Yeah. It wasn't my fault that the rest of that happened, but that piece was my fault. Yeah, exactly. And, and part of that first bit of ownership was going to treatment and like realizing, okay, I'm not getting through this on my own. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've also, I've like, my family's been dealing with it for a long time. My friends are starting to distance themselves. Like I can see those longtime friendships starting to break down. Like this is me taking ownership and I'm going to show you guys that I'm serious about this. Yeah. And I'm going to go put my, put the life on hold. Like, and just essentially disappear for 30 days and see what comes of it. Like how terrifying and like scared all that fear and everything that's all bought. Like, you don't know what you're walking into, but it was like, no, I need to go do this. Yeah. Not only for myself to show you, to show other people around me that care about me, that I'm serious. Yeah. That's, I think that's a real valuable piece that you just talked about. And you actually took, you answered the question before I even asked it was what was it like leading up to treatment? And you talked about the fear and the unknown and, and that's why I was going to ask it. Cause I was, for me, I was a 40 year old. Well, I went to treatment the first time when I was 38, checked that box, thought I was fixed, went back at 40, right. Lost everything, but it was terrifying. You know, I'm driving or I'm getting driven to the treatment center. Cause there was no way I was going on my own. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I was expecting, you know, this, what is this place? A cult? What is it? You know, I was expecting people walking around in their bathrobes and I didn't know what I was getting into. And it was terrifying at at a, you know, a middle-aged mature man terrified. Yeah. It was, it was like, it was like fear was, fear was a big part of everything, right? Mm -hmm. Fear of people finding out fear of what's gonna, what's life going to be like afterwards. Right. Um, and the fear of the treatment. So, so when I was that darkest point, what I talked about when I was framing and stuff, once my parents realized what was going on, that was the first time they wanted to, my mom suggested it like, Hey, there's this place, but I obviously wasn't ready. 
right? I, I sure. did the things. I went and saw some counselors <clears throat> thinking that, okay, I'll do what I need to do yeah. in order to get them off my back, right? Like knowing full well that I wasn't ready to quit drinking yet. But then this second time, it was kind of more of a like, what fucking matters, Yeah, right? Like there's nothing really what's the worst that could happen? Totally. What could be worse than where I am right now? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So there was definitely some fear going into it, but I was kind of like, <laughs> for some reason you're driving there. You think like, I imagine like a prison, <laughs> like, it, like we're going to be prisoners and it's like, but I, I went to, it was called um, top of the world ranch. Yeah. I think, I think it's switched ownership. I, I'm not sure, but I think it's called Recovery Ranch now, but it's just outside of Cranbrook. Right. And it's like, I, I emphasize this in one of my podcast inf, uh, episodes, but it was like, it was like driving to a beautiful cabin, mm-hmm. like ranch house. There's trees everywhere. There's bunk houses all over the place. Like, so I think driving up into that was like, okay, this is all right. And then we get there and there wasn't really anyone around when I first got there. They were off doing all their stuff. So I kind of just met a few people and like first, first lady I met was like probably about 70 years old. Next what next person I met was a 19, 20 year old kid. Right. So it's like, okay, these aren't all... <laughs> Like I'm going to stereotype. It's not just a bunch of bikers in here. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it, like this is everyday run of the mill people and that kind of stuff. And then kind of, kind of took it all in. Like I did all the new hockey dressing rooms I went to, like was quiet and just kind of observed and all that. And it was pleasantly surprising how like warm and welcoming and mm-hmm. open like everyone was open and not really judgmental. Right. Right. Yeah. So you kind of go in there and you're like, Oh, okay. Like I was thinking people are just going to be miserable and angry and like all the feelings I have inside. Right. For sure. But you show up and you're like, okay. And then luckily I was able to, I chose to be there. I was there to, to help myself so I was ready. I I dug in as soon as we got there and started doing whatever they asked and told and suggested and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Very cool. And that's kind of where our stories differ a little bit. I checked the box the first time I went to treatment. The second time I was in the same mind frame as you were, right? Once I met yeah. an individual who kind of saw through my facade and called me out on some things and then I, you know, it hit me. It was a light bulb moment for me. It hit me, man. There's, there's this, try this. What's the worst that can happen? Or, you know, what's going to happen. You're going to die. So, yeah. yeah. And then once, once I made that switch, just like you were saying, when you bought into it and you were there for you, that's when things started to change. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool, man. It was. <laughs> so like, I didn't have to do detox or anything yeah. because I was five days sober when I went. Yeah. So I didn't have to go through that portion of it. Um, but the majority of people aren't in that situation. And there was a guy, we did kind of our intake <laughs> meetings and kind of, they tell you what everything the first couple of days. And there was a guy 
sat there, didn't say a word. The whole, all the things like there was me on this side, like ready to go. All right, let's dig in. And then he was the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And uh, so we were there the whole time together. And mm-hmm. he, he told me about halfway through, he's like, man, I hated you the first the first days like i could like you're like you're excited to be here like it was like i just i was just wanted to be in a separate room he's like but then i started to see kind of how you were progressing and figuring this stuff out so it helped to let me open up and dig in and all that kind of stuff so by the end of it we ended up being pretty good friends and like didn't really keep in good contact with them but like think about them all the time and yeah it's kind of uh yeah it was it was cool to witness be be on the one side but also have the other end of the spectrum like the first time you went yeah where you're just like all right let's get this over with kind of yeah. or i don't want to put that in your head but. for sure no that's pretty much what it was <laughs> yeah for sure so you spend some time in treatment how long you were there? 30 days? Yeah. Yeah. 30 days. Yeah. That was, I think that was the minimum. They kind of did it 30, 60, 90. And mm-hmm. obviously I think you could stay as long as you wanted, but um, right. it was like, I wish everybody could go Yeah, somewhere like that. 30 days, learn about things that are only going to benefit you in your life. Mm-hmm. Like if we ever reach utopia, maybe that's something we can put in there. But um, no, like the first, first bit was awesome. All that kind of stuff. But then that last week came and it was still great, but I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Like I'm ready to get out there, challenge myself and put myself into, into situations and, that's kind of where I might have done things a little differently than what they would have suggested. Um, I kind of found it, I think having that hockey and athletic background, I kind of saw it as that challenge, that competitiveness Mm -hmm. to be able to put myself kind of back into situations, but this time not drink or use drugs. Right. Cause I kind of figured I was like, if all my friends are doing it, I don't want to just completely finish those relationships or not hang out with those guys. The world is surrounded by alcohol, right? Everywhere you go at a flames game concert. So I kind of looked at it it was like, okay, you're going to have to face it. Right. So obviously I didn't put myself into ridiculous situations right right away. But it was like, okay, my buddies are hanging out, having a beer, having some beers. I'd kind of go half hour, 40 minutes. And then as soon as you, as soon as you start to think like, "Eh," then, you know, to take yourself out of there. For sure. Right. So it's kind of like going through that and just kind of getting more and more and more comfortable with it and all that. And then, Eventually, I started going to the bars with them again, doing that kind of stuff. And that lasted a little bit of time until I realized, what the hell am I doing? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
you prove to yourself that you could do this. You don't need to stay up till one, two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And sure. rest, wreck the rest of it. Yeah. Right. So that was when, uh, I kind of also knowing coming back, I knew I needed to find something to, um, shore up that free time. So that's where I got into the CrossFit right. side of it. Yeah. yeah. I saw that you were doing that. Yeah. So that became, that was perfect because it had that mental, um, physical side of it, mm-hmm. but also there's a good community behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you go in there and you have your workout and everybody kind of knows everybody. Right. So it's got that aspect. So I started to focus and use that as yeah. a tool to kind of keep myself focused and fill some of that time. Very cool. And I, and I think that is one of the biggest pieces, you know, we talk about this lots and many others do as well, right. Is finding your community, finding your purpose in recovery and, and how beneficial that is to you, you know, bettering your quality of life, but also getting into long-term recovery, right. You find that community and that's something that you just alluded to, right. You found it in a CrossFit community. Yeah. Yeah. So I was lucky enough. My sister started doing it. Um, and then she started dating a coach and then, uh, he, after they were pestering me, like I was working out at just the regular gym, but kind of getting bored with it. And they finally got me to come to a class. And of course, like you got those stereotypes in your head, right? Just like going to treatment. I thought it was going to be a bunch of dudes with their shirts off, like broing out hard in there. And turned out it was just a bunch of your run of the mill everyday human beings. And I kind of look at it now. I'm like, it was kind of like a treatment center. Mm -hmm. There was everybody under the sun there. And then you go to the CrossFit gym and it was kind of the same thing. So it was a good, it was a collection of people with a like-minded goal in as their purpose. And it was easy to get right into there. And of course, you know how, if you're addicted to one thing, it's easy to find something else, For sure. right? Yeah. So, so threw myself into that and, and then, uh, still coach hockey. And then I ended up getting into, cr- uh, coaching CrossFit and all that kind of stuff. And that was up until, uh, year or last January where, I ended up parting ways with the place I was coaching at and mm-hmm. kind of little bit of gym management stuff. And then I got into writing and trying to produce and create this podcast that I've been doing since then. And it's been an interesting ride and I just ended up finishing or releasing my 10th and kind of final episode of it. And it's been a process, but it's been something that feels really good to bring to completion. Yeah. That's really cool. That piece. And, and I definitely want you to talk a little bit more about your podcast, but that's, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, that Nate narrative therapy, right? You share your story like that and you, and you work through, especially the way you did it right through a podcast and you're actually writing your story, mm-hmm. how cool that is to go through those pieces. And, and I don't know about you, but when I did a lot of this journaling and whatnot early on in recovery, man, I had a lot of light bulb moments. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, like even like it kind of started with, started with reading, right. 
I never read before. And then you get your hands on a book and they just start saying things and you're like, Oh yeah, I relate to that. I relate to that. I relate to that. And then it kind of goes into uh, my counselor that I worked with in treatment. And I, I really enjoyed him and he had a lot of experience. He was his own, he had his own issues and all that kind of stuff. So it was easy to relate to, but Mm -hmm. you kind of open up, a box or a doorway to something that you don't even know existed really. Yeah. Like I remember the first, the first meeting we had is we just started talking. Then all of a sudden I was talking for 45 minutes and like you're remembering things that you don't even remember. And like you completely forgot about and all that kind of stuff. And then to further that, to go back and kind of just go through the whole process now of everything that happened and all that kind of stuff. And like, it's, it helped me heal in another way Mm -hmm. was, was going like six years later now going back. And like, I was thinking about it. I was like, am I just living in the past? But I was just like, no, it's, it's helping me, but it's also, I feel like it's going to help others if they hear it. For sure. Yeah. And that's the beauty of, you know, once you get into recovery and, and you do some work and you, and you heal yourself, right. You own things, you, you become open-minded, you change your behavior, all those things that come with recovery, you get to a place. And I recognized this a few years ago where it becomes more than just sharing your story. It's sharing it to help somebody, right? We don't just share our story. We use it. And that's what, when I came across you, Mike, and your podcast, and this is, you know, that's what was glaringly obvious is that you're using your story with the hopes of helping somebody else. You're not just, here's me, here's my story. Pat me on the back. It's, it's, yeah, yeah it's so cool, man. And you're right. This could be, you know, th- the key to open somebody else's door for healing. Exactly. Exactly. And it almost was like, like at first, when I first got back into the real world, I ca- I was like, anyone brought it up change the subject, like (laughs) embarrassed about it and stuff like that. And then over time, obviously get a little more comfortable and stuff like that. And, and then it almost came to a point where it was like, I didn't want to be hiding underneath it. Mm -hmm. Like I almost felt like it was kind of weighing me down a little bit. And like, I don't want to hide underneath it. Like I'm not going to go around telling people random strangers on the street, but it's almost like, this is something that I need to share Yeah, because it's almost like, it almost felt like it was like a duty or something. Cause if I felt this way, then there's a hundred percent more people out there. Yeah. Right. So it almost, it became more of a, this is going to help. And that's kind of, that was my whole goal, right? And you go through, you're like, how do I, how do I have, what should I listen to, or what should I write about or mm-hmm. what should I focus on? What? And I just kind of was like, you know what? Just put out what would have helped you. Yeah. And that's, that's where you should go from there. So. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And that's the cool piece. And that's what I love about, you know, podcasts, especially, right? you can tune in and you can find just about anything you're looking for out there. And this is one of the things that I happened to be looking for was, you know, I need to find other ways to continue this journey. And, uh, cause I know, I don't know what's best for me most of the time, right? I need other people. I need community. I need support. So 
it was just low hanging fruit was man, let's dial into some recovery podcasts now and, and see what other people in this world are doing for their recovery. And, and that's what, you know, kind of led to this and, and here you are today. And it's an amazing journey. I think when you get into recovery and you're doing things for the right reason, you're doing things to help others, not to be recognized and, and receive accolades and all these things, right? It's not about ego anymore. It's about, man, I know how shitty that felt. And how can I help somebody else avoid that or come out of their dark spot? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's so beneficial, you know, for them and for us. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it helps. It's both sides. And, and I, I got heavy into listening to the podcast. Right. And, and I just had this idea where it's like, okay, it's like, you want to, you got this story. You can share this story what's a way that you can do it without someone having control, right? Like you write a book yeah, and you got to find an editor and you got to do all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, well, if I can figure out how to do this yeah, and I'm, I am in no way a tech guy whatsoever. Me neither. That's why we have Dave. <laughs> so yeah, luckily I had a, I had a guy who runs his own part, but podcasts already helped me out with a lot of stuff and, and or else I would have just been on garage band, like trying to, <laughs> and I would have quit. Yeah. But anyways, um, so yeah, you find it was kind of finding that purpose and all that kind of stuff where it's like I can put out how I want to put this out there to the world for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And I listened to some episodes. I'm glad that you talked about releasing episode 10 now. So your story is complete then on your podcast, right? Essentially, yes, it is complete. Um, it was, it, yeah, it was. It was hard. The last heart, that last episode was the hardest one. Yeah, I like. I talk about it in it. How I, as I was writing through, I was like, "How am I going to end this thing?" Mm-hmm. Right. So I essentially just stopped trying to write it and just started with the other ones. Um, so then I came to it and it's not that long and it's pretty simple, but I, I'm like, these are just some main points and it's like, this is an ending. Like it's like anything, this is just a chapter and I'm hoping to continue with uh, interviews and do some more writing and release some stuff like that. So, yeah. So the story part, yeah, you can, I'd love for you to go and listen and, um, like most, the average length is about 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. it's nothing too, too time intensive. And um, yeah, the narrative portion's done. And then I think I'm going to still write and release a few things. Yeah, and for sure. also looking for feedback and that kind of stuff too, like questions, comments, anything like that helps as well. Absolutely. Why don't you uh, share with the listeners where they can find your show? So... Spotify, it's called Second Nature. Um, and then I also have a stu- Substack account, which is again Second Nature. Um, I think it's secondnature.substack.com. And then also on Instagram, it's Second Nature underscore habits nice. is my account there. And then there's a link with all the stuff. And also on Apple Podcasts, Second Nature. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Awesome, man. Um, 
I just can't thank you enough for sharing and doing what you're doing, man. Cause I, there's space in this, there's room in this space for everybody to do what they're doing. Right. Cause you know, like we touched on at the start, there's many paths that lead people to addiction. There's just as many, if not more paths that get them out of it. So, yeah. I mean, me talking, you talking, we could all say the same thing, but it, a lot of times it takes the right person to say it in a different way that it turns that light bulb on for somebody. And, and that's the, the gateway for them to start doing some work, right? You take that first step and then you don't have to take any more alone after that. Yeah, exactly. And getting out there and asking for help, right? Like I found your, your guys's podcast, like I think it was like a month, two months ago and I started listening and I was like, okay, this would be a great place to go mm-hmm. and talk and help share and that kind of stuff. And, but of course I had those thoughts of like, okay, well, are they going to want me to on there because I got my own podcast? Yeah. But the first thing you said when we met was like, dude, there's tons of room in this space. And like, that's something where I'd love to like, thank you guys for having me on here because I agree the same. Like everybody talks about like, what we're going to do and we got to work together through this. Yeah. And if we have any chance of trying to help as many people as we possibly can. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. We're, we're only able to help the people that, uh, you know, we can help. And if we all team up and we, we work together and we build this recovery community, man, there's a lot more people going to get help. So I am very grateful that you had some time to come on, share, you know, your journey with us. Cause that's, that's step one, right. Is, is, you got to get into recovery to be able to share your story of hope. So amazing that you're, that you're at where you're at today, right? Six plus years of recovery is no small task. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting to think about. I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, it's hard to remember before yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. like, or think I did that kind of stuff, but <laughs> All I got to say is like sobriety is nothing but a blessing. And I look, I look back on it and I'm not even, I'm not upset with myself or angry at any of the things I did. If anything, I'm a better person now for all to having to go through that kind of stuff and being able to come out this way. And it's made me be able to see like the positives and, love myself, love my wife and family and all that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's really what, what drives me is those relationships and that kind of stuff. Wow. Very well said, my friend. And I think that, uh, that just seems like a perfect segue into uh, shutting this episode down because I like to end on a high note and, and that there, what you just quoted there, family, friends, relationship, a better human being. These are all parts of recovery. And Oh man. Yeah. Every time I sit with a guest, especially somebody like yourself that I resonate with your story, it, it mirrors a lot of my story. Right. And it's, it's like sitting and listening to somebody tell my own story and to where we are today, man, it's, it's fascinating, but it's also a direct reflection of, I think your character, right. And your hard work and your work ethic. And you know, that what the other side looks like and the work it took to get to where you are today. And, uh, and kudos to you. Cause that's, it's amazing. And you're right. The gifts of recovery just keep coming. The more we keep doing the next right thing, they show up and yeah. uh, you showed up today, man. <laughs> hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks Mike. Thanks anybody who's interested in, uh, 
connecting with Mike, you have his contact info. Now you have his social media, his Substack. I'll put all this in the footnotes as well. We always do, but yeah, check out Mike's podcast, second nature on Spotify, on Apple as well. And, uh, like he said, right. He's open to feedback. He's open to suggestions, comments, anything. So I'm sure there's links on there or on his Instagram that you can hit him up and just have a chat with him. Cause that's what it's about, right. Is taking that first step, figuring out, you know, you're not alone in this. <laughs> I'm sure you listened to Mike's story. He thought he was for a long time. So did I. There's hundreds, thousands, millions of people going through the same stuff we went through and uh, you're not alone. You just got to reach out and then things get easier. 100%. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks a lot. Um, Don't forget to check us out on FDTL podcast, share, like, comment, and uh, tune in next week because we have another amazing guest coming out. So with that, I think we'll... uh, pull the plug on this episode thanks mike and you have yourself a great day my friend thank you you too awesome man from darkness to life is an our collective journey podcast these are the real stories of people who've triumphed over the many challenges of life's journey if you or a loved one needs support please reach out to our collective our commitment is to empower you to build resilience as you journey towards recovery consider showing your support by donating online at our hosted by members of our collective journey produced by rob pate engineered edited and directed by dave crookshank from darkness to life is a plugged in media network exclusive 